This morning, I want to talk to you about four aspects of faith. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, this has got to be one of my favorite scriptures. It says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is faithful to him. Oh, what incredible benefits. What incredible joy comes to us through faith. Just think about it for a second. God is searching the earth and the quality he is looking for is faith. And when he finds faith, he can bless because God's desire is to bless, to show himself strong on those who will believe in him, trust him, and entrust to him. And he does this through the venue of faith. Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 1 tells us, I love it because, you know, chapter 11 is bankruptcy. So when we're bankrupt, right? That's when faith comes in, right? Verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. In other words, faith has substance and certainty. Because it grabs onto heaven and the benefits that belong to Jesus and it puts it on our account. Faith is evidential, although it's invisible. In Luke 18, we learn four different aspects of faith. The activity of faith, those accepted by faith, the awards of faith, and the attainment of faith. I want you to know I tried to make it all cues, but I wasn't quick enough. Ha ha. It just didn't work for me. It was too cute, and it just didn't work. And so it was like three days ago, I was like, no, I can do A's. You know, I love alliteration because it helps me to remember. But anyway, here it is. The activity of faith. So in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, we learn that faith perseveres in prayer. This is the activity. Those of faith persevere in prayer. Jesus tells a parable, and I love how Luke tells us from the beginning the lesson we're going to learn. I don't know about you because, you know, people go, look at this picture. And I'm like, what am I looking for? What am I supposed to see in this picture? Brian does all the time, like, look at this. Okay? And I am seeing what? But when you tell me what to look for, I can zero in on it. And that's what Luke tells you. As Jesus is about to give this parable, Luke says, this parable, here's the lesson. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. There is to be a persevering in prayer rather than a fainting or a discouragement or a losing of the heart. Losing the heart could be identified as giving up or resignation. Like, okay, it's always going to be like this. It's going to be oppressive. Trying another judge. Going someplace else. Lord, because you're saying no, I'm going to look for alternatives. In fact, I was talking to some friends and we were talking the other day about how that when when God says no, we kind of go, well, then I'll do it myself. If you're not going to do this for me, God, I guess I'll have to do it for myself. Isn't that how we operate so often? But you see, faith doesn't try an alternative. Faith keeps going to the great judge. It doesn't scheme, and it doesn't try to merit. So Jesus tells a story about an unjust judge, and he tells us two things about this judge. First of all, he's unjust. He's he's amoral. He doesn't have a code of ethics that he lives by. Secondly, he doesn't respect God or men. He doesn't answer to anybody. So he doesn't live by a code of ethics that he answers to, and he doesn't answer to God or to men. So he, he has no premise on which to judge righteously this woman's cause. So he's an unjust judge, but there's this widow. Now, this widow has three strikes against her. One, she's a woman. And women weren't um, given any credibility in court. So she's a woman. So she has no rights 
uh, during the time of Jesus. Secondly, she's a widow, which means she doesn't have an advocate. She doesn't have a husband to stand up for her, defend her, or to get her rights accomplished. And thirdly, she's got an adversary. She's got an enemy. She's in dire circumstances. And she comes to this unjust judge. And she begins to nag him. That's it. She persists. She's there. Every time he turns around, there's that widow woman just saying, give me justice for my adversary. Avenge me. Look out for me. Help me. And this judge says to himself, oh, though I don't care about God and I don't care about man, I am sick to death of seeing this woman every place I go. And lest she just wears me out by her continual coming, I'm going to bring down a verdict on her behalf so she'll leave me alone. Now, this is what's called an argument from the lesser to the greater. And Jesus is pointing out, if an unjust judge who doesn't answer to righteousness, to any law, doesn't answer to God, doesn't answer to any man, doesn't have anyone over him, will do this for this widow because of her continual coming. How much more your good God, the great God, will avenge his own elect, though it seems to be a long time coming. That's what it means, though he bear with them long, though it seems like it's long in coming. During this, this time where it seems like nothing in the heavens is shaking. You ever have times like that? You're praying, you're praying. Sometimes it seems to get worse, the situation, doesn't it? Like, Lord, why am I praying if you're going to make it worse? But you're, you're praying and it seems like nothing is happening, but God is at work. And that's what Jesus says. Will not God avenge his own? Though he bears long with them, though it seems like it's a long time, what are we to do in that long time, in that waiting time? We are to pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray incessantly. I, I like to think of it this way. Open up a continual dialogue with God. Just begin to talk to him all the time. You know, I love cell phones now because when I'm talking to God in my car, people think I'm just on the phone. (laughs) My lips are moving. I like to pray out loud because, you know, not only am I praying, but I'm processing as I'm praying and God is ministering to me as I'm praying and out loud because, you know, sometimes I don't even know what I'm feeling until I start praying. I don't know what that emotion is going on. I, have you ever had that where you just don't feel quite at peace or at rest? You're like, why am I feeling uneasy? What's going on? Lord, will you explain me to me? That's part of my conversation in the car. I don't know what's wrong with me. I feel like I'm on edge. Is there something in the spiritual world that I'm feeling? Or did I just have a bad tamale? Lord, tell me what's going on with me. But that's what happens. Prayer perseveres. And then Jesus says that God will avenge them speedily or suddenly it will just happen. The answer will come down suddenly and it's over. You know, there are situations that take time, take time, take time. And then the answer comes, boom, and that situation's over. In Psalm 37, it, it talks about how fret not thyself because of evildoers, because of him who prospers in the way. And then it says, you know, it seems at times that they're spread out like a native green tree, but all of a sudden they're gone and you look for them and you can't even see the spot where they're at. You're like, wait, I know I had a bad situation a month ago, but it's so obliterated because God has worked. And that's what Jesus is saying. God will do this sudden work unexpectedly, when you least expect it. Sometimes out of a totally unexpected place, God moves, and it's just God. Then Jesus throws out the the challenge. But when the Son of Man returns, 
There's a guarantee. He's coming back. Will he find faith on the earth? When God promises to work, when we've got the guarantee that as we persevere in prayer, God will work, will we do the very thing? Prayer and persevere in prayer, which is the activity of faith. Now, secondly, Luke 18, 9 through 14, we learn that faith appeals to God because of his mercy and not because of personal merit. Jesus told another parable, and this was about two men who came into the temple to pray. The first was a Pharisee, a self-righteous man. And this is what he did. He felt superior to other men. So he prayed and said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not like this tax collector. In other words, there's this comparison. And he says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. You see, faith does not come in its own merit to God. There are times we as women, oh, if we've read our Bible, we haven't watched television, we haven't read those magazines, we haven't had sugar or a donut, we've been like so good, we feel so spiritually powerful. Like, what mountain do you want moved? I've been good today. I got the power today because I've been so good. And I prayed. But then there are days, do you ever wake up just condemned? Ever had those dreams that totally condemn you? Like you wake up and go, wait, did I steal from my neighbor or not? (laughs) And you wake up with just that condemnation. And you want to pray and it's in your heart. You want to have your personal devotions, but the day gets so busy. Things just crowd in and there's, there's this and that. And then you realize you ran a red light because you were talking about someone and you shouldn't be. You know, all that stuff is going on. You used your cell phone in your car while you were driving. I know who you are. You cut somebody off and you're like, sorry. And they're like, I hate you. I want you dead. You know those condemning days? Those days where you just feel unworthy and you go to pray and the devil goes, you? You? You think God likes you? You think God's listening? And you have, you have nothing in yourself to say, God, could you listen to me? Because I own a Bible. I prayed yesterday. You have nothing. But you see, it's in those times that you have everything. Because you are appealing to God on the merits of Jesus Christ. On what he's done for you. What he's accomplished. You see, faith is never about my personal merits. What I've earned. What I've done right. It's always on what Jesus Christ has done right. I'm getting ahead of myself because it's my fourth point, like my big four. This is the little two point. So faith, faith comes to Jesus. Faith comes to God on the basis of mercy, not personal merit. Now there's a tax collector and he beats his breast because he knows he has no right to appeal to God. There's nothing that he's done right. He's stolen from people. He's exacted too much. He's an outcast from his own people. He's considered a friend of Rome. In fact, we're told that he couldn't even look up to heaven. Oh. Do you, those of you who are parents, I have, I had, I have, I had. He used to be little, now he's bigger than me. But my son, Char, I remember I could always tell when he had done something naughty because he couldn't look at me. Braden, the same t- way. My, my two boys. I love it. Such a big guilt complex that if they had been naughty, they could not look at me. 
You'd be like, Char, how you doing? Fine. So anything happened at school? <laughs> school? <laughs> no, no, school, no way. <laughs> okay, what'd you do at school? Should I call the teacher? No, Mom, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to put itching powder down Jamie's back. It just kind of happened. There was itching powder. There was Jamie. That actually happened. So, but I just remembered he could not look at me. You know, that's what guilt does. And this man felt like I can't even look, look to heaven because I'm not, I'm so unworthy, but have mercy on me, God. Have mercy. And Jesus said, this tax collector went away justified. Justified. What is justified? It means he went away qualified. Qualified to be heard by God. Qualified to receive mercy. So the activity of faith appeals to God on the basis of God's mercy. He knew that he was a sinner, and that word is harmatia. He knew that he missed the mark. This is the basis of faith. Lord, I've missed the mark. I can't make the mark, even on my best days, when I'm really, really good, even with my best gifts and my best goodness, I cannot merit your grace. I cannot earn your mercy, your compassion, your goodness, your kindness. It is always on the basis of what Jesus has done for me. Now, thirdly, and this is the little three of the first one. So we're still on the activity of faith, right? So the activity of faith. Now, this one I absolutely love, Luke 18, 15 through 17. What's the activity of faith? The activity of faith is to do everything you can to get in the arms of Jesus. Like these little children who just ran up to Jesus and were climbing all over him. I think that the disciples probably thought, no, we should have more respect for Jesus. Children are to be seen and not heard. And Jesus is saying, don't you dare forbid these children. I love um, this story in Mark because it tells us that Jesus rebuked his disciples. In fact, it tells us that Jesus was angry with his disciples. This is the only time that you find Jesus angry with his disciples. The only time. When was it? When they try to keep the children away from him. He said, lit. And, and that word lit is in the Greek, always lit. Always allow the children to come unto me. Never, no, never, never, never forbid the children from coming to me. For this is what the kingdom of God consists of and is all about. At another um, time when Jesus was with the disciples and they were arguing about who was the greatest, we're told that Jesus took a child and put him in the very midst of the disciples and said, this one's the greatest. This one. And he says, and whoever receives one of these little ones in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Oh, children are of such great value. But look at these children. They're brash and bold. You see, faith, the activity of faith, is brash and bold to get to Jesus. Don't you love the way children, like they get to places that an adult would never go? You know, they squirm. They, you know, I don't know about you. Again, going back to my boys, they were always trying to get out of holding my hand. Yeah, they were always like, their hands were constantly moving, trying to make, you know, get dislodged some way. And I remember this one time I was shopping and I wasn't really paying attention to where Char was when I saw this huge crowd gathered outside the store, looking in the store window and they're all laughing and it's getting bigger and bigger. And I'm thinking, I wonder what's going on in the store window. And then I went to grab Char because Kristen was always right by my side. And Char's gone. And sure enough, he was in the store window doing dances and singing and drawing a crowd. 
But you know, I would never go in a store window and do anything. But there he was, brash and bold. We are to be brash and bold. In fact, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that we have bold entrance into the throne room of grace. Therefore, let us enter in boldly, boldly, not in the confidence of who we are, but in the confidence that what Jesus has done is so thorough, so perfect was his sacrifice that because Jesus is perfect, I have bold entrance. I was on an airplane when I was in my 30s and I was watching a movie called Shadowlands and I remembered that the um, airline steward, flight attendant, I knew there was a new term for them. I'm trying to get used to, you know, this new era that I'm living in. He came up to me and he said, I heard that you guys were flooding the plane, my girlfriend and I. You know, you were crying so much during Shadowlands. I was like, well, I just love C.S. Lewis watching this movie. And And I just started kind of sharing the Lord with him. And he says, you know, I think that you are just so prideful to say that you are going to heaven. Nobody knows that. And I said, I would be totally prideful if I thought it was me or something I did. But if I'm going on the merit of Jesus Christ and I am saying that he is absolute perfection, that his blood is absolutely so powerful and so effective that it was able to forgive and cleanse me of all my sins and give me a bold entrance into heaven, that it has nothing to do with me. In fact, it humbles me to the core and glorifies the Son of God. And he's like, well, that's an interesting way to look at it. <laughs> but faith is bold and brash in coming to Jesus. Those children... They knew they were wanted and they were accepted. They had absolute confidence in the goodness and love of Jesus. That they were wanted. They felt so safe with Jesus. Next we see in the activity of faith that faith is devoted to Jesus. In Luke 18, verses 18 through 30, we have this, um, if you put all the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke together, you've got this rich, young ruler. He's earnest, and he's moral. And he falls at Jesus' feet, and he says, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, notice that the emphasis is on These two words, I do. And Jesus systematically showed this rich young ruler that his morality, his riches, his influence, his youth, all of his earthly advantages were actually disadvantages because the essential is faith. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? For there is none good but God. You see, Jesus gets right away to the premise. There is no one good. No one can merit but God. God alone is good enough. And if you're coming to me because you recognize I'm good, that means I'm God. And if I'm God, then you need to follow implicitly and explicitly because I am God. I am God. Now, no doubt this rich young ruler wanted a pithy proverb, wanted a piece of advice, a good suggestion, a feat to fulfill, something to put on his to-do list that he could check off like, yes, I'm in. And Jesus brings up the law, the commandments. It's interesting because he stops right before the commandment, thou shalt not covet. 
but he brings the, the moral ones. Honor your mother and father. Don't murder, don't kill, don't lie. And he says, I've done all these from my youth. And Jesus said, do you lack one thing? You see, he lacked the very essential, which is faith. Faith puts God first. That's what faith does. It puts God above all. Faith is devoted to Jesus. And faith will not allow anything to supersede Jesus because Jesus is good because Jesus is God. And since Jesus is God, he is worth every earthly sacrifice because he's God. The activity of faith is to make the impossible possible. Peter, watching Jesus in essence, send the rich young ruler away, saying, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. We're told this rich young ruler went away sad because he had so many possessions. He was holding on to his possessions. They, they gave him status. They gave him an identity. They gave him a sense of importance, a sense of security. And he couldn't let them go to follow Jesus. And he went away sorrowful. He went away sad. Mark tells us that Jesus had compassion on him. Jesus recognized the internal struggle with this young man, wanting to, but it was so hard for him to give away those things that had become his identity, that had become his security, that had become his status. So Peter, looking at this situation, and now imagine this. If somebody came into our fellowship today, you're like, they're rich, <laughs> they're young, <laughs> They're, they've got influence. They've got, you know, they're a CEO of a big company. Wow. And they're at our church. Yes. And they're earnest. They want to know, like, what do they need to do? And, and they're moral. They're upright. We'd be like, oh, man, sit on the front row. Pastor Brian has a message for you. You know, we'd be like, oh, we got a CEO. But that's not enough for Jesus. That matters nothing to Jesus. None of those things merit anything with Jesus. Jesus is looking for faith. And faith is willing to make everything secondary to serving Jesus. Faith doesn't want anything in the way, anything to supersede. So Peter, looking at this, this whole encounter says to the Lord, Lord, who then? What's going on here? And Jesus says, how hard it is for those who have riches to be saved. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. Peter's hearing this, says, Lord, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, with men, it's impossible. But with Jesus, all things are possible. Now, you've no doubt read in some commentary, heard some preachers say, now in Israel, there's this little gate called the eye of a needle. And if a camel goes down on its knees, like really a devout praying camel, and puts its head really low and squirms and squeezes, it can make it through, but it would have to bow completely to get through the eye of the needle. Hogwash. That's what my dad would say. Hogwash. My dad would get so upset. My dad, Chuck Smith, just to throw it out there, he would get so upset when he heard that. Because you know what it is? It's man's attempt to still somehow merit heaven. Well, if I just get low enough, humble myself enough, if I just pray enough, if I just squirm and squeeze myself through, then I can save my self. If I just try hard enough, if I'm just earnest enough about getting through that gate, then I can be saved. 
Jesus said with men, it is impossible. You're trying to get a camel through an eye of a needle. And Jesus said, that's impossible. We're talking about a tailor's needle and a big old double hump camel. I just threw the extra hump in for emphasis. It's impossible. We cannot save ourselves. No way, no merit, no no amount of religious activity, ritual, keeping of the law, squeezing, squirming, humbling ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We are saved through faith alone, in Christ alone. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he bowed three times and he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cut pass from me. If there is salvation by any other means than the death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it would have been done that way because that was the prayer of Jesus. But there was no other way by which man can be saved, as Peter said in Acts, than by the name and the action of Jesus. So, faith makes the impossible possible. Then, According to Luke 18, 35 through 43, as Jesus is passing through Jericho, there's a blind man sitting on the side of the road and he hears a commotion and he begins to ask questions. What's going on? What's going on? Because he's blind. He can't see, but he hears. And somebody says, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And the moment he hears this, he begins to call out with everything in him, Jesus! Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd say, shh, stop that. You're making a spectacle. This is Jesus. Show some respect. Stop that. And the more they try to silence him, the more he cries out. Jesus, thou son of David. Why? Because faith is Desperate for Jesus. Faith recognizes that Jesus, the son of David, is the only hope we have in this world. The only hope. Whatever situation you're going through, faith recognizes the answer is Jesus. Like those enthusiastic children in Sunday school, when you say, where was Jesus born? Jesus. That's the answer to everything. Have you ever noticed that? Those of you who have taught Sunday school, what kind of flower is this? Jesus. What'd you eat for breakfast? Jesus. Okay, these are real questions. Jesus is a good answer. It's not the answer right now, but it's a good answer. But you see, he realizes that Jesus is the answer. The ultimate answer is Jesus. And he will not be silenced. Faith cannot be silenced because faith is so desperate for Jesus. And Jesus, we're told, stops. Just stops. And he commands that this blind man, Mark tells us his name is Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10, be brought to him. I love how Jesus, in speaking with this man, doesn't assume even though it's obvious that he's blind. But he says, what do you want me, the son of man, to do for you? What do you want done? Wow, what a blank check. I am that I am. Is saying to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Here is Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah, saying to this blind man, what is it you want me to do for you? Now, a blind man was an absolute outcast. In those days, they believed if someone was born with a defect like blindness or became blind during their life, it was because of some sin. And they absolutely deserved the condition that they were in. And here's Jesus saying to this blind man, what do you want me to do for you? And of course, Bartimaeus says, Lord, my eyes that I may see. 
Jesus touches him, and we're told immediately Bartimaeus could see. And he began to glorify God and follow Jesus. There was nothing keeping him from following Jesus, no possessions, no nothing. Jesus had just opened his eyes and given him what no one else could give him, sight. Okay, this is the number two, the big two. Who are those who ascertain faith? So in this chapter, chapter 18, we learn of those who receive faith and those who don't receive faith. Who qualifies for faith? We see that women as well as men can qualify for faith. We see that the poor or the rich qualify for faith. We see that those in need qualify for faith. We see those with adversaries and those without adversaries qualify for faith. The humble, those who know they are sinners, those who plead for mercy, those who wiggle and squirm and do all they can to get into the embrace of Jesus, not to get through the eye of the needle, but to get into the embrace of Jesus. Those who are willing to give up what they cannot keep for that which they cannot lose. Paul in Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8 said, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. But indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. This is what the rich young ruler could not do. But Paul did this. He said, I count them rubbish. Nothing will supersede my relationship with Jesus Christ. Those are the ones who can receive faith. The blind can receive faith and operate in faith. Beggars can receive faith. And those who come to him because he is the son of David and recognize him as the Messiah and Savior of the world come to him in faith. But who doesn't qualify? Who, who doesn't receive faith? Those who think they can merit God's favor by good works and good endeavors. Anytime that you begin to compare yourself with someone else, beware. You are entering into the world of merit and not mercy. Any comparison, any competition, you are entering into the world of merit and not mercy. Those who come to him as good master not good savior, king and sovereign. Those who are only looking for a master who is beneficial rather than a Lord who is sacrificial, will not receive faith. Those who want a feat to qualify themselves or a philosophy to live by, a suggestion, some advice, who want God's approval of their goodness and their works, like Cain in Genesis, who wanted God's approval of his sacrifice, Genesis chapter four, rather than Abel, who came because of the blood of the lamb. Those who try to come to God because of their earthly productivity, what they've planted, what they've reaped, what they've harvested, what they've worked for, rather than those who come on the basis of the blood of the lamb, cannot receive faith. Those who want just simply a moral instruction a no-cost commitment, a necessary to better their lives, cannot receive faith. Those who cannot release their riches, position, posture in society, passion for morality, perfect behavior to receive Jesus cannot receive faith. Again, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man 
to enter heaven. Those who simply want to add Jesus to their life rather than bring him into their heart by faith as the King of kings and Lord of lords cannot receive faith. The big three, what are the awards of faith? What does faith get for us? What does faith do for us? Well, from the widow, we learn that faith avenges us of our enemies. It takes vengeance on our adversaries, whether it be the world, the flesh, the devil. Those who would seek to do us harm, they become the enemies of God. From the Pharisee and tax collector, we learn that faith justifies us. It qualifies us before God. It allows us in. And it exalts the humble and humbles the exalted. From the children, we learn that faith gives us acceptance and constant welcome into the presence of Jesus. Faith. Faith brings us constantly into the presence of Jesus and into the very embrace of Jesus. Jesus laid his hands on these children and blessed them and defended them. This is what faith does for us. It brings us Jesus' touch, Jesus' blessing, and Jesus' defense of us. From the rich young ruler, we learn that faith does the impossible. What man cannot do, God does through the venue of faith. Man cannot save themselves, but God saves us through faith in Christ Jesus. In Luke 18, 29 through 30, we learn that no man has given up houses or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come everlasting life. That faith recompenses for every loss that it makes up. As it says in Joel, that God pays back what the locust has eaten. What seems to be eaten away, dissolved by the world, God gives back through faith. Through faith. In fact, Jesus says in, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark recorded it this way, and Matthew recorded it this way, that he would compensate on earth a hundred times more. A hundred times more. You know, I know people that have lost, lost fathers, but they come to church and God gives them many fathers, many. They've lost brothers, but they come in here and they get a family of brothers, more brothers than they know what to do with, more sisters than they know what to do with, more security, more homes. But Mark adds this with persecution. We need that persecution. Because otherwise, even we as believers try to make earth heaven. And heaven is earth. And heaven, I'm sorry, earth is earth and heaven is heaven. There's a big distinction. And we can't keep trying to make earth heaven. So God compensates. But he compensates. And there'll still be persecution. There'll still be troubles because this is earth. There will still be pulled muscles and age. But God compensates for every loss. Many times more in this present time. And then with everlasting life in the age to come. When the Bible speaks of everlasting life, it is not speaking just of a quantity of time but a quality, the highest quality of life. From the blind man, we learn that faith is heard by Jesus, actually stops Jesus. Jesus stops when he hears faith, and he hears faith. That faith brings us to Jesus. That faith opens our eyes Faith glorifies God and faith magnifies Jesus. Now, how did we attain to this faith? In other words, who or how was the door of salvation by faith open to us? Well, it came 
through the suffering, condemnation, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is wrong to teach a cross without a resurrection. You see, the cross was man's verdict. It was the high priest delivering the sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world. But the resurrection, according to John Stott, is the divine reversal from heaven's court of the human verdict. The earth said, he's, he's guilty, he's guilty. And heaven said, he has done no wrong. You know, we have a Supreme Court, right? Where you can appeal if you believe you've got an unjust verdict. But they don't always get it right. So we go to the supremest court. The supremest court. The court of heaven. You see, because of Jesus. In Isaiah, God says, it's a small thing that I should give my son as a light to the Jews. I will make him a light to the Gentiles, to the world. I will make his blood, his sacrifice count for anybody who will believe in the accomplishment of my son, that he fulfilled the word of the prophets and the law, that he kept it scrupulously, that he kept it perfectly, that he kept it with the right attitude, with the right constancy, and in the right way. You see, we are accepted today because of what Jesus, the son of David, has done for us. He went to Jerusalem out of obedience to his father. As it tells us here in Luke 19, 18, 31 through 33, Jesus accomplished all that was foretold about him in the scriptures. He was delivered to the Gentiles. He was mocked. He was insulted. He was spit upon. He was scourged. In fact, we're told in Isaiah 53 that those stripes that he received were for our healing, for our sake. He was put to death that our sins might be paid for, that our sins might be forgiven, that we might receive all that he deserves because of his righteousness, because of his goodness. He bore our sins, the just for the unjust. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And then he rose on the third day. That we might know that his sacrifice was so perfect, it so pleased the Father. It so covered all our sins. He was raised for our justification that we might look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and go, I'm in. I'm in by faith. I'm going to heaven. I can pray and be heard because of what Jesus has done. You see today because of what Jesus has done. We can persevere in prayer and be heard and be avenged of all our enemies, death, the grave, sin, the devil, the world. We are avenged. Oh, death, where is thy victory? Oh, sin, where is thy sting? We've been avenged by God. Because of faith in Jesus Christ. Because of faith in Jesus Christ, like the tax collector, we can appeal to God on the basis of his mercy and be justified, qualified, and heard. Because of what Jesus has done, we can run into the arms of Jesus and be blessed. Because of what Jesus has been done, 
the impossible has been made possible. There are no longer any impossibilities in our life because of what Jesus has done. All things are possible, not because of my merit, but because of Jesus. The impossible has become possible. The camel has gone through the eye of the needle because of what Jesus has done. Because of what Jesus has done, we who are blind and beggars and told to be quiet by the influential of this world, we are heard by Jesus. We are touched and we have our request answered by Jesus. Our eyes are open all because of what Jesus has done. These are the benefits that are ours simply by believing that Jesus has done what he did. He has accomplished everything that was foretold in God's word concerning his life, his death, and his resurrection. Now by faith, we cry out. Now by faith, we are justified. Now by faith, we are embraced and blessed. Now by faith, we are heard and healed and receive our sight. All by faith in Jesus Christ. Not our merits, but Jesus alone has accomplished all this for us. Condemnation is over. Be like a child. Squirm, run, get loose from this world and get into the arms of Jesus, whatever it takes. Become a child. Lose the condemnation and grasp the faith that is ours through what Jesus has done. Let's stand up. Let me pray for you then. Close your eyes. Lord, these are your daughters that you absolutely, absolutely adore. Lord, I know that we've all had those days where we just want to smite our chest and say, oh, son of God, have mercy on me. Thank you. Thank you that that's the prayer you hear. Oh, Lord, will you let my beloved sisters know that they are heard, that they are loved, that your arms are open to receive and to bless them and defend them. Lord, bless my sisters today. Let them grasp onto faith and know it has nothing to do with merit and everything to do with what you have accomplished. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.